This episode of Breaking Banks is brought to you by FIS. From local shops to global banks, FIS is evolving commerce and helping businesses and banks transform in the digital world. FIS moves $8.1 trillion annually, serves 90% of the world's largest private equity firms, 60% of the world's largest merchants, and 90% of the world's most innovative banks. Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King. And I'm Jason Henricks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services. From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm J.P. Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks. Welcome back to Breaking Banks. I am your host, Brett King. Of course, Breaking Banks is the number one fintech radio show and podcast globally. We're delighted to have with us this week, Robert or Bob Letkes from the Chief Data Solutions Officer, Ethos Data Solutions Group at FIS. Um, for those of you, if you don't know Bob, he's a 20-year veteran of FIS. He's uh, had a ton of experience in the banking and payment space. His uh, group specifically looks at sort of leading data solutions um, for the financial services market. Um, Bob is in charge of the security and ethical use of data in the financial market for uh, that component of FIS's business. So, um, Bob, uh, you've been you've been featured in uh, Forbes and PaymentsLeader.com. You're right into this. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. It's an honor to be on. So, just um, first of all, what is Ethos Data Solutions Group? I know Ethos is the product, but could you talk about a bit more about what the product is, just as an intro? Yeah, yeah, glad to. And so FIS, you know, for years has provided financial services tools to a lot of the market. And what we've done with Ethos is designed an ecosystem that spans across all those verticals. So whether it's in the capital market space, or the merchant space, or the banking space, or the government space, we wanted to make sure we had kind of a ubiquitous approach to how we were dealing with data. So it's an enterprise ecosystem solving the data problems across the organization for the customers that are out in the market. Absolutely. And of course, FIS has some of the biggest customers in the world. So uh, uh, let's just dive right into sort of some of the big questions around data and you know privacy and data security. We see a lot more state-based regulation now in respect to um, this. You know, in, in Europe, we have the GDPR, we have federal data privacy regulations coming in in the, the US and so forth. Um, but clearly, one of the challenges that the industry has is we've got all these sort of disparate data pools, you know, data silos, which may not necessarily be as secure these days because, you know, the, the cyber, the, the, the hackers are getting a lot more sophisticated in terms of their technology. So um, what does all this regulation mean for the industry at large? Well, certainly, you know, one of the big challenges, as you mentioned, there's a lot of state regulation in the states. And the, and the interesting part is it's transitioning across the state borders. So just like GDPR, right, is really in the states, we're still addressing GDPR as though we were in that region. And so if you're following the California you know, Protection Act, 
then you're even if you're in Virginia, you're you're you have to understand and know what those rules are. So really, you know, I, I think the good news is all this regulation is trying to protect the consumer, right? Against what what they don't know is um, a much more involved use of data than we've ever seen, you know, in the history of banking. Uh, you know, they you, you said it right about the fraudsters, right? They get up in the morning and they have a wonderful incentive plan. They get to keep the money they steal and a terrible uh, failure plan. They get to go to jail if they get caught. So, so, so they, they innovate just as much as, you know, any of the companies out there um, that are competing. And so, you know, the, the balance is the bar has been raised significantly. And you said it, there's a lot of data out there that probably hasn't been in the most secure environments. And, and, you know, while we've raised the bar in the industry and PCI compliance and, you know, lots of other regulations have helped us make sure there's a minimum standard, there's, there's a lot out there to clean up. And, and that's one of the things we wanted to do was help our clients say, Hey, if you have data, it doesn't even have to be processed by FIS. Bring it to us. We'll, we'll take care of your data for you. And to do that, we wanted to build the ethos ecosystem. So it works you know, kind of well to say, don't worry about where your data is. How about you just ship it over here and we'll take care of it for you and, and protect it? Because that's that's the number one thing is the protection. So do you guys, in, in doing that, do you have a bias towards the cloud or you know, do you have your own data centers or is it on-prem with clients? How, how, how is it handled? Well, so that that's an interesting thing, as 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 you point out in your book, right? Four the, oh, the world is in a transition. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's it's you know that the transformation takes place, and and we wish we could all go from the Flintstones to the Jetsons in one move, but the truth is, is that takes decades in some cases. And so, uh, when you talk about a bias for on-prem or cloud, you have to work in both. So the security protocols have to work for on-prem, in cloud, in transition in a mobile device. And so what we've really tried to focus on is protecting data wherever it is, instead of trying to find a place to say, here's the vault, go go to the vault, everybody run to the vault. Because the truth is, probably the weakest link in the data chain typically tends to be the consumer. And that's because they, they feel more protected and a lot safer than sometimes they are. And so they'll, you know, uh, we talked about it once before, when you go on to one of the social media sites and they ask you, oh, click here and see which, which Star Trek character you are. You're giving data away to a place that you have no idea where, where it finally filters out to. And, and there's a lot more protection for that type of stuff too. So if you want to figure out if you're Han Solo or Luke Skywalker, you can. But, uh, but I, I would tell you that, that um, from a security perspective, it's got to be protected wherever it is. And if it can't be protected where it is, if you're in a legacy infrastructure that can't be, then you got to get it out of there. And, and that's one of the things we're helping a lot of banks do right now. I'm really interested in how you frame that because if we had this discussion, you know, four or five years ago, there would have still been a debate over on-prem versus cloud in terms or of security ability. But you're, you know, you're talking about the Jetsons being the cloud environment, obviously, because we have these adaptive security protocols and we have, you know, these these cloud uh, environments that get pummeled every day from a security perspective. So, at, like an immune system, they they have built up. A, you know, exceptional um, security protocols. And so you really do have this disparity now where it is, it, it appears from a technology perspective that, you know, cloud-based solutions offer um, much, much more, much greater security in the medium term than, than on-prem. But that would have been unthinkable a few years ago, right? Oh, completely unthinkable. And, and, you know, one of the interesting things as we, as we had solutions that entered into the cloud, 
we took the investment we made in security and took it. And so what, what you get from the cloud environment is leveraged security. So FIS brings additional security into the cloud environment when we have applications that process in, in what we'll call the, the private public cloud, right? And, and so they get the benefit of all the security that's been developed in the cloud and then the security that we've developed on-prem and in our different you know, shared data centers. FIS has its own cloud we've developed to, you know, to be able to move quickly and nimbly for our customers and still have that on-prem feeling. And so I think really the, the key to it is realizing that, that just like as you look out on the road and you see the cars out there, you're going to see a 50-year-old car and you're going to see a brand new car. And, and every once in a while, you're going to see a futuristic car and you got to make sure that you can keep them all running, right? And so that's what we've been focused on. Yeah, very interesting. Let's talk about the ethics, uh, you know, and sort of ethics of customer data. Um, obviously, we're moving increasingly to an environment where financial services are embedded in the world around us. We see simple uh, applications of this right now, like buy now, pay later, or, you know, the uh, the PayPal offerings for, uh, you know, credit at purchase time and things like that. Um, but we can see, you know, um, behavioral savings emerging, you know, the likes of Robin Hood, Digit Acorns here, or in China, Yui Bao, um, you know, you know, so there's there's a lot of this contextual stuff happening, but that does require um, financial institutions or the tech fins or fintechs who are offering this, you know, this these partnership capabilities where they get geolocation data or the right trigger data, um, you know, to be able to make these contextual offers as part of an experience or building their you know um, their capability into a a partner's website. Uh, or or app, for example, but that that requires data to be transmitted. So, um, you know, how do we balance this requirement to have data that's private, where or, uh, with data that's mobile and offers a value exchange? Yeah, you know, it's funny because what's really happened is, and this is more important in the banking industry than in any other industry, because there can be nothing more personal than your finances and your your financial information really is something that that a lot of people you know feel very sensitive about and but it's also emotional right it's a fine line between i want my bank to know me and i want my bank to know more about me than i than i intended and right. you never know where that line is as a consumer and so uh, we look at the kind of the ethical use of data in two you know kind of in two factors one would be in the actual factor of using PII data or personally identifiable information, right? Your name and your address and all of that, how and where that's shared and how we use that is a very sensitive thing. So, so in most cases, what we find is the bank has a, a, a tremendous constraint on that and says, look, we're only going to communicate with our customer through these channels in these ways. And then you flip over to the other side, which is that depersonalized anonymized data. And that's where really most of the work in the industry is happening. And that's where we identify in order to do a buy now, pay later decision on somebody, you have to pull in data. And that data has to be compared against a model for predictability to pay back and likelihood to be a good offer and how much should the interest be and all of those things. So it's data driving the machines that are making those offers and that data is depersonalized. But again, the consumer doesn't necessarily always feel comfortable that you know enough to make an offer that's based on how they're performing and it, it feels much more personal than it feels depersonalized these days. So, so we look at it as what are we doing with the, the actual consumer's gold, right? The, their actual personal information. And then what are we doing with the anonymized information 
to make sure that we're being responsible about being, you know, good stewards of the data, but also building that flexibility in. And everybody's had that ad pop up where it feels a little too suspicious that they would know that you happen to be looking for that one thing at that time. Um, you know, yeah, but, the whole but really thing, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, the funny part is, is um, it doesn't take that much information to actually be predictive, right? All of us, by definition, fall into a thousand categories, right? You, I may not be normally a flowers guy, but I guarantee you three times a year, right? On Mother's Day and Valentine's Day and Easter, I'm, I'm a flowers guy. And that's not too hard to predict. And so, right. so a lot of it is really just the more information that starts to come together. And you mentioned geolocation. And so if you know the traffic is on your way to work is jammed up, don't think that the coffee shop on the corner doesn't know that too. And they know exactly how to staff up for the morning rush hour versus, you know, the Saturday morning, you know, casual shopper, so to speak. So, so I, I think ethically we have to look at how far do we go before we bridge that line of trust with the consumers. Um, when you come to regulation, uh, the regulations are really tight as it applies to the personal information, not so tight as it applies to the anonymized information, as long as you're not using it for, for a purpose the consumer doesn't know. Like you wouldn't want to take the banking information and then you know, turn it over somewhere to the tel- telephone company so that they can tell you, you know, oh, you can afford a more expensive phone. Let's get you that. that that's an unethical use, even well, of anonymized I, I, data. Ironically, I will tell you the number one data point for predicting default risk in the United States is whether you pay your phone bill, your mobile phone bill on time, yes, not a credit score. That's right. It's much more accurate than a credit score because it's a behavioral uh, element. But I, I want to just come back to part of this. You're talking about, um, you know, your, your private information, your your name, your address, your date of birth, your mother's maiden name, if you live in the States, your social security number. But that information is no longer securable. I mean, it's on social media, yeah. you know. It, 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 so what do we need to do to actually provide some longevity around securing your identity? You know, do, do we need a different form of identity metrics? Um, you know, uh, you know what, what does the 21st century yeah. digital service layer identity infrastructure look like in your mind? Well, yeah, you know, you bring up a great point because I would tell you, even if you're not on social media, even if you're not, you're, you do everything you can to keep your data. The reality, unfortunately, is over the last decade, the number of data compromises that have come across, um, your data is already out there in the hands of, you know, kind of the dark web and the criminals and et cetera. So step one is, and we've gotten much better at this in the market in many places, and that is monitoring, real-time monitoring of the use of your data, right? So so all those in-app notifications that somebody just used your credit card and things really help cut down on, on fraud. So moving into the mobile world helped immensely communicate with the consumer in real time about what's happening with their data. The ability to turn on and off your credit bureau so that you know even unless you know about it, you can't apply for a credit card. The real transformation that's taking place, as you mentioned, is in new identity metrics, right? The combination of multiple factors to assure that the person standing in front of you, the person online making a purchase is the, indeed the person whose financials are being you know, used to make a purchase or, or to register, et cetera. So authentication and identification are two places where there's a lot of investment right now. And look, we could put as much security as we want on passwords. We could put as much security, you know, access in, 
that's only one very thin layer of protection. It's got to be more than just your password is the only way to access and use all your financial information. And that's, that's where there's a ton of investment today. The trick to that, and this goes, this, this makes this terrible looping circle is that it requires the consumer to provide more data so that we can validate more of the identities. So like biometrics, how, you know, yeah, yeah, fingerprint, right. face it, print, it, voice print. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And, and ever, you know, the, the worst part is, is, you know, you're extending that trust just a little bit further as a consumer. So, so and no matter what we, we you know, you're only going to get a certain percentage of the consumers to do anything. Right. And so even with regulation and all the protection and, and that we saw this with the cookies change, right? Where you used to accept cookies once when you entered an app. Now you accept cookies every single time. You know, that's just dealing with the regulation pragmatically. And the consumer says just yes, yes, yes. Right. And so. Right. And so uh, therefore again, it becomes pretty useless as a, as a mechanism. Right. We've just trained you to say yes, rather than actually consider it. Like, like the EU, EULA licensing agreements that you have when you download software. No one ever yes. reads them. That's right. So you know you, right. you you know, you don't ever look at those agreements unless a, you know a serious problems occurred and by then you've already agreed to it by clicking the accept button you know anyway since we focus on how banking and finance are transforming I'd like to talk to you about three letters F FIS. From local shops to global banks, FIS is evolving commerce and helping businesses and banks transform in a digital world. FIS moves $8.1 trillion annually. It serves over 90% of the world's largest private equity firms, 60% of the world's largest merchants, and 90% of the world's most innovative banks. They have the unmatched expertise needed to advance your business. Want to find out more? Head to fisglobal.com slash realnet. That's F-I-S-G-L-O-B-A-L dot com slash realnet. So I want to ask you, um, as part of the Ethos platform then, um, you know, you're coming into a lot of organizations that aren't thinking like this yet or are just starting to think about that. So how do you start them on that journey? You know, how do you, you know, what do you guys do in terms of getting organizations ready to focus on data security and, and where do they start? Well, you know, I'll use this analogy. You know, um, there's some people that are, are really super data healthy and they really need a personal trainer like, uh, you know, engagement. And then there's some folks that you know are kind of couch potatoes about data, and they're just getting into it. So when we when we designed the Ethos ecosystem, the, the purpose of it was to say, look, wherever you are in your journey, you can step into it. And if it's hey, right now I just need to get my data into a secure environment where it's all connected to each other. Right? The biggest challenge in data over the last ten years has been has been integrating it to each other, so that we didn't have six versions of someone's name and address within the same bank. Right, because there's so many. The, you know, the average bank using between 50 and 100 software systems. Each of those has a system of record so that they can do their their respective work. So normalizing the data, or what we call refining all that data into a usable centralized repository, is a big step. So, so for for a lot of them, we don't try and sell them on the hey, you have to jump into this super healthy data plan. It's where are you today, and what steps can you take. That start moving that way. And the most important thing is to draw a line in the sand 
and say, going forward, every decision I make about data, I'm going to hold to this new standard. And, and then even if you don't make a concerted effort, you're going to get there just making sure that your future decisions are kind of future, future looking. Um, a lot of times what you get is, is uh, banks, uh, corporate or organizations, governments that say, we can't put out tens of millions of dollars to make a transformation right now. Right. So, so I don't think there's anybody that wants to go and do, you know, what we call that voluntary heart transplant, you know, kind of exercise. What they really want to do is just get on the road to help. And, and so we, one, we built agnostically. So we're not dependent upon FIS. Certainly we access the FIS data more easily and, you know, and, and kind of in a greater secure environment, but we're taking in data sets from hundreds of our competitors and, and non-competitors and places like that, that allow us to, to kind of be that, that ubiquitous central repository. So what I would tell them is wherever you are, whatever your next data decision is, that's the time to start talking about what you're going to do. And when we, when we sit down with the bank, that's exactly what we do. Because if we showed up and said, we've got a plan, you know, write a huge check, commit all your time and resources. Right now, the, the banks are trying to figure out exactly what, what, you, what you did. I'll give you another shout out to the book. What you did in the book, explain the world is moving and they've got to figure out how to get the world there and, you know, and be there for the consumer, right? The consumer of today will not walk into the, the branch. The consumer tomorrow won't even know what a branch is. And so, so while the branches are going to be important for you know, legacy customers and for some of the things that haven't gone fully digital, as soon as we get the data and the identity and the authentication figured out, nobody's going to a branch. And, and most of the banks that I talk to, they're fine with that. They want to engage the consumer at home when they're getting ready for work in the morning and, and catch them at two o'clock in the morning when they've come back from a long trip trying to balance their finances. So I, I, don't, I don't really find a resistance to going from where we are to the future when I talk to banks. What I, I typically find is concern about how we get there and do both at the same time until we, you know, because for a little while, the Jetsons and the Flintstones have to live in the same place. Yeah. So it's like, uh, as you said, heart surgery, but maybe on an aircraft that's rebuilding the engines at the same time. Right? <laughs> exactly. Um, I, no, I did. I did want to sort of come back to this. You know, you, you're talking about scenarios in terms of utilization of the data that increasingly sound real time, right? And so we know that traditional core systems don't offer that capability, right? And so um, it, it appears like, you know, both these data lakes that we have to create and the tech stacks that support them from an API perspective and so forth are increasingly going to sort of be these middleware add-ons to a traditional core. Is, is that sort of the way you treat the architecture of your the data solutions group as well? Is that, you know, you, you're assuming that this is real-time data in, real-time data out, and so you, you need um, a separate integration layer outside of what you'd traditionally call the core system, right? That's exactly right. So we, uh, several years ago, as, as we were moved to the world of APIs and things like that, we created uh, a system called Code Connect, uh, which we leverage in the ethos environments, which is real-time APIs so that we can get the data real-time. So luckily we had that kind of middleware in place. Uh, when you think about, you know, the cores doing batch processing and things of that nature, that's all in the process of transformation as well, but it's it's still going to be that way for for you know call it the next five to ten years. The the good news is in most cases that's settlement. 
right? Which the consumer is not worried about settlement, right? So you can make a transaction happen. And, and look, the, the best example of this is, is your brands, right? Your Visa's, MasterCard's, Amex's. You know, a lot of the, the settlement takes place behind the scenes. The consumer gets the purchase now. Their balance is updated immediately. All those things happen. The money movement, you know, can happen in stages and that's speeding up as well. So I think um, what's interesting that's happened is the world used to be fix the infrastructure, and then offer that functionality to the consumer. Now the world's moved to digital, offer the consumer convenience, make everything move, and then work the infrastructure backwards. Just make sure the consumer's good first. Uh, because that demand, that you know, that expectation and demand has gone way up. So uh, the data has to be real time. And certainly, you know, a big portion of our data is in the fraud space. If you're not fraud, the difference between real time and a data lag is a huge window of opportunity for processors. It cannot exist. It has yeah. to be real time. Because once they find a, a weakness, oh, yeah. they'll pile in. Um, so that sort of brings us full circle to the regulatory environment that has to support this. Um, obviously, regulators uh, are not as yet real time. Um, they're relying on on banks to uh, automate fraud and so forth. But you know, when we look at things like AML and chasing down suspicious actors and so forth, it's fairly obvious that there needs to be a massive technology injection in the supervisory and regulatory layer. So, what do you think that looks like in five or ten years? Well, it's, you know, we're starting to see some of the expectations of AI and machine learning coming through the regulations, right? There's a new CECL regulation about um, expected credit losses that are due, and, th and that's requiring a more real-time look at the risk of your lending portfolio. And so when you see that, you can see the regulators trying to say, hey, uh, I don't know what the technology is, but this level of understanding is required in order to, for you to manage your financials now. Um, and as it applies specifically to data, I think the big challenge is Today, we look at data, financial data, as the data that's at the bank. But the reality is social media data, telco data, um, geolocation data, all of that's now coming in. And regulating each of those for each use case, we're finding really hard. The regulators that I've spoken to are, you know, can think of a scenario that they're trying to protect against. And in protecting against that scenario, they can create, you know, five or 10 issues that, that they didn't, didn't mean to intend, right? Uh, or didn't intend to uh, impact and such. And so the regulators really have a hard job ahead of them because uh, when in doubt, make a rule is, you know, kind of how we lived through the, the 90s and the 2000s, right? Well, we're not sure, so let's make a rule. And, yeah, and you know, it's not, it doesn't really that. work in, in, yeah, it doesn't no. work like that in the 21st century. We've actually seen that, you know, China's regulatory system, which tends to be more responsive, they tend to be more open to new ideas and innovation, and then they come in after the fact and, and batten it down. Whereas in the US, it's more like, well, we're not going to move to that until you can prove it's safer than the existing system. Right. And so, you know, um, it, it's, it's yeah, it's a, a very interesting sort of regulatory uh, playoff here. But look, we've just got a couple of minutes left, Bob. I, I just thought, um, you know, just, um, you know, how do people get in touch with you, um, you know, in, in respect to the ethos uh, perspective? And you've used the term before that you guys feel like you're data custodians. So, you know, how do you, um, 
you know, how do you start these uh, relationships off, and and you know, what do you what do you offer to your customers in the first instance? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for that. Uh, actually, uh, FISglobal.com has uh, all of the information about Ethos and the and the ecosystem and the different products and services. Luckily, you know, we're already providing work on behalf of the clients in the data processing. We usually. You know, if we're doing your core, we're doing your payments processing or, or maybe your merchant processing, access to your data is, is readily available. And really, it's just about engaging. What are you doing and, and how can we either, you know, create more security, create more functionality? You know, creating savings is a great thing, but that's not really the focus, right? We can always create savings for clients. What we really want to do is help them create growth and good engagement and data security and those type of things. Because the one thing you know, that can bring down any organization is a lack of security around data. And and that's really one of the things that I think everybody's starting to realize and, and put a lot more attention to. We've seen more chief data officer roles in the last three years than probably in the last 30 years, right? And, and it's a good thing. And they're becoming less and less of a technical role and more and more of a business and strategy role, which which I think, you know, just, just ties that in. And so, you know, as we look at, at modernization across our organization, right? The modern banking platform, for instance, being designed as kind of the futuristic core and, and that flexibility, ethos is, you know, a cog in the wheel of that machine as well. So the beauty of of open integration strategies and, you know, a lot less of this closed network dependency on software is what's going to help us all, you know, access that in the future. So really excited about the opportunity. And, and certainly if anybody's looking for the person with all the answers, there is not that person. The world's changing too fast. We can only partner together and, and kind of deal with security, privacy and protection. And then how do we use the data to make a better experience for the customer? And I, and I think we're, we're on a great, great start to that. Absolutely. Well, the, the number one skill of the 21st century is going to be adaptability. I can tell you that right now. So um, you've uh, given us a lot to think about in respect to that. So uh, Bob Legters, uh, Chief Data Solutions Officer, Ethos Data Solutions Group at FIS. Thanks for uh, joining us on Breaking Banks today. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. That's it for this week. If you like the show, make sure to give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform or share it with a friend or share it on social media. We'll see you again next week with more Breaking Banks.